Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Ohio and Chris P. with Danae King uh, covers uh, religion and immigration for the Columbus Dispatch. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I ate too much turkey and then I got really tired. <laughs> Did you have a good one? <laughs> I had a good Thanksgiving. I was a little bit nervous. Um, 30 people, they weren't wearing masks. We were inside, but I think I'm okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out this. We're still in the midst of COVID. I, I know your husband covers COVID for the mm -hmm. dispatch. So if I say COVID's dead, he'll come in and start beating me up, I'm sure. But <laughs> no, I mean, we're still in COVID and we got to be careful. It's just, it's, it's so awkward. You know, you talk about the stuff you shouldn't talk about on Thanksgiving and COVID can be something that, you know, divides people. So we went, we kind of followed their custom, but we were just very careful and just making sure we don't get sick. We, we may quarantine, but it's all good. Yeah, it's so, still nerve-wracking, though, to be Yes, out. yes, especially in uh, this new normal that we're in. It's just another thing we can all disagree about, which isn't good. So, But, no, it, it was good Thanksgiving, and um, it was in a big church building, so people could se separate out, which I think made it a lot safer. Uh, I think the fear that a lot of people have with these Thanksgiving gatherings is sometimes you're in a small house, and – you know, there's 50 people there and you're all sitting on top of each other and no it was good so i'm just kidding yeah. if any of my family listens and it's, like, <laughs> it's all good all right but hey there's a lot of uh, upcoming holiday gatherings we're all celebrating thanksgiving uh but obviously with christmas and hanukkah season uh, there's a lot of um, different celebrations and different faiths and different traditions are coming forward. Uh, you wrote recently about Hanukkah, and my goodness, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming in Columbus in the next few weeks. Yeah, there's a lot of great events that are happening. And so I wrote, um, I did a, an event listing for local Hanukkah uh, events, but also wrote a story just a little bit about the importance of the holiday. And, you know, since it's close to Christmas, a lot of people are like, oh, is this like the Jewish Christmas? And the truth is, it's not, but it, it is a big deal, you know, and it's become a lot more um a lot more celebrated of late, especially in public in the past several years. So um, it's a holiday all about light um, and really bringing light into the darkness. And so there's a lot of fun celebrations, but there's also this aspect of it where, you know, there's this real feeling that, um, you know, that that people need to learn more about Judaism and maybe that can combat hate and anti-Semitism, which has been at an all-time high lately. So I interviewed a rabbi who, you know, 40 years ago did one of the first public menorah lightings at the Ohio State House. And, and it was really cool because he's just, you know, really happy to see that those are more of a thing now. There's they're at the local malls, they're at the state house, and there's also menorah lighting at the Blue Jackets game. So yeah, and it's so frustrating. We could talk all day about this, but um, I think for as weird and as awful as 2020 was, I think maybe one of the good things we could learn from it is just dealing with people that are different than us. If it's a different skin color, a different faith or anything. Um, and I think anti-Semitism is sadly real and it's not going away. Are, are they hoping, are Jewish leaders hoping that kind of our renewed kind of eye towards treating people alike is helping you know just with all the lessons we've learned for 2020 all the ways that we're trying to understand each other better and better treat each other are, are they hopeful that maybe it'll get better for 
uh, some of the mistreatment that sadly has happened with Jews recently? Yeah, I think the idea is, you know, just seeing that there is light and goodness in everyone and trying to really, you know, emphasize that. But also, um, you know, this idea of, I think of education, of learning about others. And I think that's important because I think there's been a lot more anti-Semitism in light of the pandemic, actually. Um, yeah. And that's made it go up. And a, a lot of people, you know, there's some discrimination against Jewish people during things like pandemics. And so I think the hope is, um, you know, to come to combat some of that hate and to not be scared to come out and to, you know, have these public events and yeah. welcome people of different religions to see them and to just show, you know, we're here and we're not afraid and we're going to celebrate our culture. Well, it presents a really cool opportunity because, you know, you might read this story and say, well, you know, I'm not Jewish, so it's nice what they're doing, but I won't be part of it. But, you know, I think part of the issues we're having in 2020, 2021, and unfortunately before that is we don't know enough about other people. And just because you read something about other people doesn't mean you have to convert to Judaism or anything else like that. But I think we could learn to live together better if we understand where other people are coming from and maybe understand how different people celebrate. I mean, I think it, it's a no-brainer just to you can't live with other people if you don't know what they where they're coming from. And uh, I think it's great. I mean, there's a lot of public events that even if you're not Jewish, you can kind of understand how different people walk and look at life. Yeah. And it's really cool because these rabbis are very much like, you know, come out and celebrate with us and be a part of this and learn about it. But also, you know, we think you should publicly celebrate your religion and your beliefs too. So, right. you know, they're not, you know, they'll support that as well. You know, it's not just, only Judaism that they're supportive of. So it's it was kind of refreshing to talk to these rabbis about, you know, celebrating their faith and, and making room for others. I thought this was interesting. Um, one of the events, they're having a helicopter turkey drop. I thought <laughs> yeah. that was wild. That happened yesterday, and it's this, this it's kind of great. It's this rabbi in New Albany at the Lori Schottenstein Habad Center, and his name's Rabbi Arya Kaltman, and he tries to top himself every year with a different, like with a new, you know, different thing. So he's done helicopter drops. He does it in an open field and they drop candy and then they let the kids run forward and grab it kind of like a scavenger hunt. And it's, I got to see it one year and it's super cool. And so this year they're doing, they're dropping chocolate turkeys, I think, or they did yesterday drop chocolate turkeys and let the kids run out and get them. But they're also, um, they, they had um, someone dressed as Judah the Maccabee uh, hmm. jump from the helicopter and skydive down to oh, wow. the children. So, yeah, so I definitely, whether you are Jewish or not, um, his uh, events are, are worth checking out. <laughs> They're really cool for children, especially. Wow, that's wild. And kind of a nod to the old WKRP and Cincinnati show, I guess, where I don't remember too much about that show, but they had that famous um, turkey drop episode where they <laughs> drop turkeys and everything. So, all right. Well, well very interesting. Um, yeah, so definitely uh, check out anything else we should know about these upcoming events um, to celebrate Hanukkah. Um, I don't think so. I would definitely look out for um, the menorah lightings there. Um, there's one Thursday at the Mullet Tuttle Crossing, and then um, – one on Saturday at Easton and then another Saturday at, at, or no, Sunday at Nationwide Arena for the game. So definitely worth checking those out. 
Yeah, and very cool for lighting. I mean, my kids like the lights. I mean, anytime they can go see the lights, they get excited. So, hey, even for that alone, I mean, you know, learn about a different faith and have your kids enjoy the lights. It should be really good. So, all right. And speaking of dispatch, um, you can check out today's article there. Also, check out a list of public Hanukkah events that you can go check out for yourself. Again, subscribe. Um, you know, we always encourage print subscriptions if you like that. But if you want 24-7 news coverage of Central Ohio, everything around, uh, check out dispatch.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. Uh, click on subscription. Lots of deals. Um Mark Williams, I was reading this earlier. He posts on Twitter, I guess the current deal is a dollar for six months. He says he'll pay the dollar. So let's make Mark Williams poor. poor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we already have subscriptions. But, yeah, if you're out there, uh, check out Mark Williams on Twitter. Take him up on it. But even if you don't, it's a dollar for six months. It's a great deal uh, to keep up with what's happening in uh, central Ohio, all over Ohio, because we have 21 newsrooms to cover the whole state, as well as all around the country. Uh, We work in partnership with USA Today. Uh, They have journalists all over the country. So we got you covered from Ohio, the nation, to Central Ohio as well. All right, Danae, as always, thanks so much for uh, stopping by. And everyone, thanks for checking out the Highland. Have a really great day. Health advocates are pressing the U.S. Senate to approve the Build Back Better Act because it would improve Medicaid and CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. The bill already has one House approval. It would offer 12 months of continuous coverage to children who qualify for Medicaid. A new brief co-authored by Joan Alker with Georgetown University's Center for Children and Families finds that during the early Trump years, one in 10 children experienced a gap in coverage over the course of 12 months. After we saw this troubling reverse in the progress we'd made as a country in reducing the number of uninsured kids, which came to a halt in 2017 and started going in the wrong direction. The Build Back Better bill would really turn that around and start moving the country back in the right direction. Ohio's rate of children without health insurance rose a percentage point between 2016 and 2019 to 4.8%. Opponents say the $2 trillion Build Back Better Act is too costly. The bill also would permanently fund CHIP, so it doesn't have to be renewed every few years. In Ohio, children and families of three earning about $46,000 a year or less are eligible for Medicaid or CHIP coverage. Kelly Visrell with the Children's Defense Fund Ohio explains the Build Back Better Act would streamline the application process by permanently extending express lane eligibility. It allows states to use information from other public assistance programs. So if someone wants to apply for SNAP, they have to go to one site. If they want to apply for WIC, they go to another site. If they want to go to Medicaid, they have to go to a different site. So just kind of combining all of those things together just makes it easier for families to access those programs. Ohio recently extended postpartum care to 12 months, but it would become permanent should Build Back Better become law. Israel says it also would take a team-based approach to maternal health. It provides those resources and those connections to health care for pregnant women. And it brings into the picture community workers, doulas, behavioral health specialists, social workers, and other people that help that mother feel comfortable, feel protected, feel taken care of. The latest data shows 938 Ohio infants died before their first birthday in 2018, a rate of nearly 7%. For Ohio News Connection, I'm Mary Sherman. Find our E-Trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, November the 30th, 2021. I'm Mike Clifford.
Minority-owned businesses all across the South are benefiting from a program designed to help them get back on their feet post-pandemic. The Southern Opportunity and Resilience Fund is assisting businesses and nonprofits rebuild. Shandrin Gordon owns Houston's GFN Hippie, a small business that coordinates housing for traveling nurses. When the need for housing exploded at the start of the pandemic, Gordon was able to furnish and lease housing to traveling nurses with a low-interest resilience fund loan after being denied credit from traditional sources. And they were able to really look inside our organization and say, you do deserve this, you do need this. This will help you, and we want to see your business thrive. Gordon says GFN Hippie also used the loan to cover payroll and purchase laptops. I'm Roz Brown. Supported small businesses have included restaurants, early childhood centers, health service providers, local produce farms, construction contractors, and retail stores. President Joe Biden urged Americans Monday not to panic about the new COVID-19 variant and said the U.S. was making contingency plans with pharmaceutical companies if new vaccines are needed. That from Reuters. Biden forecast that the country would not have to go back to lockdowns. He urged people to get vaccinated, get boosters, and wear masks. By the way, if you are confused as I am... As to how to pronounce the new variant, USA Today notes the World Health Organization renames COVID-19 variants with a Greek letter. They add that letter can be pronounced as both Omicron and Omicron. That's according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It sounds like we'll be at this for a while. Eye exams can help determine your risk of dying from COVID. That's according to experts because optometrists are often the first medical professionals to notice symptoms. A 2020 study in the Journal of Diabetes Science and Technology found that people with diabetes are four times more likely to succumb to COVID than non-diabetics. Dr. Scott Edmonds is an optometrist and chief eye care officer at United Healthcare. He says getting treatment for diabetes will improve the odds against COVID. So a well-controlled diabetic will fare better in the face of COVID infection than someone who's an uncontrolled diabetic. And often that difference between controlled and uncontrolled is seen in the eye exam as opposed to other tests. Optometrists will suspect diabetes if a person is obese or has a family history of diabetes and if a younger person's prescription changes suddenly, if the patient starts to develop cataracts before age 60, or if small hemorrhages are visible under a microscope. This is Suzanne Potter reporting. The so-called long-haul COVID can cause neurological changes that results in double vision, blur, and eye strain. This is PNS. Now we head to the state of Maine, where advocates for access to mental health services are holding a behavioral health summit today. They're hoping to raise awareness about the existing challenges in Maine's behavioral health system, from staffing shortages to funding gaps, as the historic amount of money is set to be infused into community mental health and substance use services. Event coordinator John Hennessy with the Behavioral Health Community Collaborative says it's the right time to discuss how best to use the funding to address the needs of Mainers. Given 20 months of dealing with COVID and even pre-COVID, the system was precarious in terms of how it was funded and the sustainability of that funding. So we're just trying to bring everyday voices to the public and talk about the issues. Maine recently upped the reimbursement rates for providers of mental health and substance use services, and funding is on the way from COVID relief bills and the American Rescue Plan. But some providers still are shut down because they haven't been able to retain the staff to even bill under the new rates. I'm Lee Bolke reporting. 
Public lands groups are asking Congress now to support the proposed Western Riverside County Wildlife Refuge, a 500,000-acre swath in Southern California. Hispanic Access Foundation and Defenders of Wildlife are asking people to sign a letter to lawmakers supporting House Resolution 972, which would create the refuge. Marielle Combs is with Defenders. It's important, especially in this urban environment, it would connect the Cleveland National Forest and the San Bernardino National Forest. That wildlife refuge status would ensure the area is safe from suburban sprawl. It is home to about 146 species. Finally, our Emily Scott lets us know more than a decade of restoration efforts in a section of North Arkansas's Ozark National Forest have led to 40 new species of wildlife being recorded in the area. Conservation advocates say Recovering America's Wildlife Act would support the restoration of Bearcat Hollow in the Ozarks. Since 2009, volunteers and environmentalists have increased the number of wildlife and meadow openings at Bearcat Hollow, which saw decades of fire suppression and invasive species. Wayne Shoemake of the Bearcat Hollow Restoration Project says federal funding would allow for more public use of the land. It has been tremendous beyond what we had really anticipated it would be. And so anything we can get Congress to help us support this conservation effort that we're trying to do will benefit the wildlife, will benefit the land, will benefit nature. The Recovering America's Wildlife Act is expected to receive a hearing in the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works on December 8th. The bill is co-sponsored by two Arkansas lawmakers. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service member and listener supported we're heard on interesting radio stations. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we are following our democracy in historic times. With so many critical issues, the last thing the American people need right now is a government shutdown. The federal government is set to run out of money this Friday at midnight as lawmakers continue debating 12 annual funding bills. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says failure to reach a deal on those bills by Friday will likely result in a partial government shutdown. Avoiding that shutdown is just one item on Congress's holiday to-do list, which also includes addressing the debt ceiling, voting on President Joe Biden's Build Back Better framework, and adopting the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA. The NDAA, which establishes guidelines and priorities for defense spending, passed the House in September. But Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell expressed concerns about the proposal. The Bipartisan National Defense Strategy Commission has made clear we cannot shortchange our military modernization and have a prayer of competing with the People's Republic of China or even the declining but dangerous Russian Republic. Talks to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal resumed in Vienna Monday. Discussions between Iran, Russia, China, France, Germany and Britain have been on hold for six months. The Trump administration dropped out of the agreement in 2018, which is why the U.S. wasn't directly included in the talks. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the U.S. is looking to return to the negotiating table in the future. This is the best available option to restrict Iran's nuclear program and provide a platform to address Iran's destabilizing conduct. Among other things, the original deal lifted economic sanctions on Iran in exchange for limits on their nuclear program. A House committee tasked with investigating the January 6th insurrection plans to charge another former Trump official with contempt of Congress. 
The New York Times reports the committee is pushing forward with charges against Jeffrey Clark, a former official in the Department of Justice. Jack Dorsey is stepping down as the CEO of Twitter, the social media company he co-founded in 2006. Twitter has come under scrutiny in recent years as Democrats say the site has failed to address misinformation and hate speech, while Republicans accuse the company of censoring conservative voices. Dorsey told a House subcommittee in March the company's moderation efforts are constantly evolving. We believe in free debate and conversation to find the truth. At the same time, we must balance that with our desire to, for our service not to be used to sow confusion, division, or destruction. Carrie Meek, a former congresswoman from Florida, died this past Sunday at 95. Meek, the granddaughter of a slave and the child of a sharecropper, held office from 1993 to 2003. She was one of the first black Floridians to serve in Congress since Reconstruction in the 1870s. I'm Jonah Chester for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy online at publicnewsservice.org. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.